Good morning, VCBC. That's me again. So if you, if you know me on a personal level, you know that I love to cook. And I'm not a very good cook, but I try out with a lot of very experimental stuff. And I tend to try out things that are kind of the flavor of the month where everyone's talking about. And then I want to see how that turns out. And so uh, as a result, I looked at a lot of the things that the world call superfoods that people like to try and uh, follow and eat a lot. And, and as you can see in this picture, this is a picture of an avocado toast. And this is actually a running joke in our own youth fellowship where the youth actually make fun of our leaders all the time. That because they eat avocado toast, they think that they're healthy, that they're like a trendy person, like a health nut. And so, so, so as you are looking at these different trends and uh, these different ideas, you realize that um, it sometimes runs into issues where the idea of FOMO happens, where um, a lot of the time we we. If you don't know the word FOMO, it means fear of missing out. So this is a term that has been happening, like has been circulated a lot in the past few years among the youth culture or even the young adults that um, they see all these things that are happening in their friends' social media or in the way they talk about it in the chats, and they realize that, oh, all my friends are having uh, all these fun activities. They're doing these really cool and trendy things, and I haven't been doing it and I feel left out, and then they would say, like, this is like a FOMO thing. Like, I, I, I don't want to miss out, and so I want to do these things together with them. And even in the food world, you realize that there's a lot of very trendy things, like like the new next food item was like, last year was a poke uh, craze, and then the idea of the avocado toast, or even like some new bubble tea places that opened up in Vancouver recently. Or, or even like brand new instant noodles that have been coming out that people have been chasing after these fats and, and these trends. And they always fear that if they don't do it now, they're missing out on what everyone else was doing that time. And especially in Vancouver, right? We are a city that is kind of known in Canada as this um, hipster place where we like to follow what's the coolest and most popular uh, lifestyle, and as a result, in our own diets, we have a particular uh, restriction that we look for when we look at what kind of food we eat and we buy. And as a result, we tend to buy foods that are local, that are organic or non-GMO or genetic modified or are ethically grown. And this is the first time I, I talked to somebody in, in, in the industry, and they're like, did you know I'm a loner? I'm like, you're a loner. I'm like, Thanks for telling me you're a loner. Like, do you need to, do you need me to care for you or something? And he's like, no, loner. Have you not heard of the loner movement? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, people want to be hermits and hide in a cave or something. So, so it turns out I asked him more, and that's when like all these people who follow this kind of diet, they they call themselves the loner, and I'm like, wow. So, so they actually have a, a their own kind of a subculture happening in, 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 in the city. And, and so, as you know, the topic today is on the idea of eating ethically. But then what 
does all these things have to do with eating ethically? Isn't that good? Like the fact that we're eating local with low carbon footprint or eating organic so that it's like natural, no pesticides or like non-genetically modified so it's like natural or ethically grown. Like it's, it's, it's grown in a way that we treat the environment and the people well. So what else is there to talk about? We can just call it a day, right? But if you look further, there's actually a lot of implications on the kind of diets that we eat. For example, we talked about this earlier uh, in, in the year. Uh, we try to look for three criteria when we look for the kind of foods that we eat. We want foods that are delicious, that are healthy, but at the same time, it's quick. Like, we don't have to make too much effort to, to, to put it on the, on the table. But a lot of the times, it comes with a cost when we do this. When it's delicious and fat, often it's really bad for your arteries. And if it's delicious and healthy, chances are you'll have to line up or it'll be something that, that a lot of people know and it'll drive up kind of the, the cost of the stuff. If it's fast and healthy, it's probably going to taste bad often. Like if, you, if you try to eat like quinoa by, by itself, you know that like it doesn't really taste good by itself. So if you have all three of them, chances are it's going to be really expensive. If you go to like the local, um, like the organic food market, you realize that these really good and tasty items, they would cost kind of an arm and a leg to, to buy. So, but, but in the same time, we pursue these things because we think we don't want to miss out. We, we, we're having this FOMO syndrome happening here. But little do we know that the choices that we make have consequences. For example, the avocados that we talked about earlier. So as a result of this popularity and craze of us wanting to eat avocados, the prices have been driving up like crazy. But more importantly, because it's expensive, it's also profitable. So one of the major growers of avocado, which is Mexico, is going through a lot of deforestation. They're clearing all these, used to be forests, to create new farm, farmland to grow new avocado trees. And as a result, they're accelerating the environmental damages that are happening in, in, in the whole continent. And in the same time, one thing that we love to eat, and as Chinese people, you know that we eat a lot of this in our dim sum, in our dumplings, in our sumais, in our like, uh, or even Japanese in their tempuras, we eat a lot of shrimps and prawns. But did you know that not not only is there a lot of uh, pesticides, uh, like a lot of uh, pesticides and uh, antibiotics that are being used to grow farmed shrimp and prawns, they actually hire a lot of slave labor to make this happen. That a lot of these shrimp farms actually hire people way below minimum, like global minimum uh, subsistence wage, wages or, or, or even like putting these people way below poverty line in order to make profitable cheap prawns for the Western world to consume. Or even, this is something more relevant to us that I'm sure a lot of you can relate to. The idea of just going out for a coffee in the local coffee shop. I just read a news article 
this week, actually, that even though they sometimes have this spin, that they said is for, um, for paper products only in the store, and then you store it and think, oh, they recycle it, and then it's all good. They are contributing to the environment. But the news article said that 99.75% of re disposable paper coffee cups don't actually get recycled. The reason is that because of the coffee and the dairy in the cups and the lining to keep uh, liquid from soaking into the paper cup are actually requires a lot of effort to, to separate. And as a result, they don't bother doing it and they just get thrown and discarded into landfill. So even just the choice of whether or not to use a disposable cup actually comes with a lot of consequences in the way we consume things in this world. And this is a direct quote from one of these um, Christian food ethicists uh, from uh, Australia. And I think it's really relevant in our world today. Eating food is a moral and theological activity whereby we define ourselves, construct political, social, and economic institutions, and respond to God. Eating food links us to the economy. Money I spent and but the man I create encourages the practices that bring the food to my table. So just by the kind of money we put into when we buy these things actually have great impact on what kind of food or what kind of damages that we make to the environment or even to the society in general. So what does this have to do with the passage that we're looking at today? So if you realize, um, the passage that we looked at is actually on the Lord's Supper. And, and how does this meal have anything to do, because we go through this once a month, we're eating this, and all we think, usually think about is reflecting on the death of Christ and the resurrection promise that we have. So how does this connect with us eating ethically? How does it connect of us eating ethically. So, the Lord's Supper meal is actually originated from the Jewish, the very important Jewish festival meal called the Seder. And if you look far back enough, all the way in the book of Exodus, you realize that this is a meal to celebrate the Passover, which is the festival to commemorate the time when the Jews were kept in captivity in, uh, uh, in slavery in Egypt. And they were trying to ask the Pharaoh to let them go. And so the nine plagues have happened, and the Pharaoh is still very hard in heart and saying, no, we can't let you go. You're still going to be slaving for it. And so Moses said, well, uh, beware of the tenth plague. And, and, and so... As you know, the tenth plague is um, the one, the most powerful one, where all the firstborn in Egypt would be killed overnight. And and so, in order for the Jews to 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 the Jewish families to be passed over from these judgment from from God, they actually have to slaughter a lamb and 
eat a meal according, accordingly to God's command, and then they would smear the blood at the door so that when the angels come by, they would pass over these families so that the Jewish families are safe. And as a result, to commemorate that act of deliverance, the Jewish community would celebrate the Seder meal every year to commemorate the deliverance of God. And so throughout the whole biblical history, you realize that this is a recurring theme happening over and over and over, where you have that very original Seder where in Moses' time, they were passed over and they get delivered by God out of Egypt. And then Passover was recorded once again in the book of Joshua when the Israelites were about to cross the Jordan River when they're delivered by God into this promised land. And then another uh, account happened in, in the book of Kings where, where um, well, Kings and Chronicles, where Josiah, the King Josiah, when he was reforming, where he was about to reintroduce the worshiping of God in the nation, he would reinstate the festival of Passover and the, the meal of Seder to remind the community that they are going back to the roots of the Israelite faith so that they can follow and worship God properly. And then now we get to the passage that we looked at, where Jesus reinstitutes the Lord's Supper through the Seder meal, where we can now uh, be delivered from our own bondage of sin. And so this meal is not just important in the time way back. It's not just important in the time today, but also in the early church when they were celebrating it in, in these different churches in, in um, the Roman Empire. But you know that in the passage that we're looking at today in the church in Corinth, there was actually a conflict that was happening in this church. There was a lot of dispute and argument that was going on. And as a result, there was a lot of division, a lot of oppression, and a lot of segregation that was happening. And looking at the context of the passage in chapter 11, you realize that a lot of the conflict arose because there was uh, two groups of believers. There was the elite and the rich, and then there were the commoners or, or slaves or worshiping in this church. And whenever the, uh, the Seder meal or the Lord's Supper now that they celebrate regularly happened, the rich and elite would secretly have their own fancy and extravagant dinner that they would eat. And then after they're all done, they would leave the leftovers. And then all these lower tier, as how they see it, lower tier believers would go and eat the leftovers. And, and so as a result, they caused this division that's happening. There's the rich people, and then there's like the poor commoners, the peasants. Or in the same time, they're also oppressing these um, commoner Christians. They think that they're, because they're the elite, they're better, they deserve better, they should receive more blessing from God, and that these guys, they can eat the scraps. Or even the segregation that's happening, that like they try to have two different worshiping environments, that like 
only those who are favorable should have the better better worship, and then those who are considered the lower class should not get much, and they they need to earn the way in order to receive this blessing that was given by Christ. But of course, Paul is trying to use this occasion to speak to entire church and tell them that this is of course the most terrible way of testifying the whole meaning of the Lord's Supper to those who come to witness it or those who come to experience it. But instead the Lord's Supper itself is an act of thanksgiving. The Lord's Supper itself is an act of thanksgiving. Not just a thanksgiving to God, not just a thanksgiving towards ourselves, but a thanksgiving that also have an impact, a significance to the world around us. So, the Lord's table is first an experience that as you come to the table, as you go towards and approach the Lord's Supper in the cup and the bread, as what Paul has mentioned in the passage, for I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed. So it talks a little bit of a darker tone in, in this translation. It talks about the night when Jesus was betrayed. But if you look at the original context, if you look at the original Greek language, you realize that the word that was described here is actually not so much betrayed. It kind of got translated out of context in the modern translation. Perhaps out of a more political kind of tone to say that there is a a human sinful element. But rather, if you look at the original text, it, the word actually means to, be, to, to deliver, to, to, to give, give away, to give something away. And so when we look at the Lord's table, it's an experience of remembering that God delivered himself, his very self, for us, for the sake of us, and for our for our future, that we're able to experience this joy and hope. And so, coming into the table together is an act of experiencing God's love, experiencing God's grace, and experiencing God's hope. And in the same time, the table is also an expression that as we come together, as we gather as a community, it's to witness together, to testify together that we are a people that have received the love and grace of God. That, as you know, the eating of the bread, the drinking of the cup has no spiritual power to it itself. Like It's not like there's some magical thing that we infuse into this cup that when we drink it, all of a sudden, like, we are more spiritual or we're more holy as a result. Or that as we 
reflect on these things as we carry these things. It doesn't make us any better of a Christian. But instead, it's the attitude that we come in, that as we come as a community of God, we go and express these um, uh, attitudes of thanksgiving, that we are able to realign and reattune ourselves with God, to recognize that, oh, like, we, we come here and we remember, oh, God has done this for me, and I want to show as a community that we still remember that we are a people that gathered here because of his grace, that we're here because Jesus has given himself for us. And so, as we now come to a time of the Lord's Supper, this is the very important passage that we talk about all the time when we officiate the Lord's Supper. So, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So, the cup and the bread, they are the very same things that the the Passover meal used throughout the thousands of years leading up to Jesus' Lord's Supper. And they each come with very important symbolic meaning, even back at the time when Jesus was officiating it. So, the, bat, uh, the, the bread, which is the matzah, or, or the manna, as you know, during the time of Exodus, it is um, a way of reminding the people that as they're breaking the bread together, they're now breaking away from the slavery, from the bondage that they're experiencing back at the time of Egypt. That by breaking this bread, they're now reminding and affirming themselves as a new people that just as God has delivered them, they are now child, children of Abraham, extending that blessing to people around them. And in the same way, the wine is a way of reminding them of the redemption as a people of Egypt. That the wine, kind of like the blood that was being smeared at the, window, uh, at the door, that they could have died, but rather... God has sacrificed something else in place of them, that they are now coming out from this second, second chance, this new life, to lift out as a people of God in this promised land. And so as we are to celebrate this Lord's Supper together, this is the chance for us to come in remembrance. And the word remem- to remember in, in the old, um, old world has more than just a cerebral or a, a mental exercise to it. But rather, if you remember something, you also profess it, that you lift out and you go and carry out uh, this new insight in your life, that you go and lift out your life as if you know that Jesus has given his life for you, that as if you remember that there is a new covenant being made, that I have to live life differently as a result. And so as I invite the, um, the deacons and, uh, and ushers to come
to uh, deliver the Lord's table and the Lord's Supper elements to us. Thus, come with a time of remembrance that this is not just something we think about, but something that we try to live out as a community of God. Thank you.